I'm joined by Mauro Cossi, co-founder and CEO of Emitwise. Thank you so much for joining me, Mauro. Hi, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. So the, the way I like to start these conversations is really to learn, uh, kind of take a step back first and learn what is the problem that Emitwise is fundamentally solving? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really try to boil it down, it comes down to that the world and corporates in particular don't have enough data to tell them how to address climate change. And it really comes down to understanding what is their impact on the world and what ways can they find to profitably, in a way that doesn't hurt their bottom line, mm-hmm. mitigate that impact. And it's a massive problem because at the end of the day, if we don't find ways to use data and information and insights to align corporate incentives, which you know are dollar signs at the end of the day, um, with the things that the planet needs and humankind needs, that we're never going to you know, solve this massive challenge that we have ahead of us. That's cool. I really like the the fact that you said profitably. Um, okay. To me, I think that's that's really important when it comes to sustainability. Is it, especially for businesses, it has to make financial sense. Yeah. Otherwise, it just like no one's going to do it. It just doesn't yeah. work. And especially, you know, now in the in the age of you know everything that's happened with COVID COVID nineteen, I think it particularly highlights it. You know, in in January February, if you were talking to a CEO of any random company, they would tell you that sustainability was a key strategic requirement. But mm. now there's a bigger question mark around it, and it certainly everything boils down even more so to what is the actual dollar side behind this? Am I making money? Am I cutting costs? How is this affecting my bottom line? Yeah, and so how how does Emitwise solve this challenge of profitably for businesses to profitably take care of their climate or their footprint, rather? Yeah, we we start at the the most most foundational layer, which is actually first of all helping them figure out what their footprint is in the first case. Uh, a typical you know a typical challenge is that there's a very big, there's lack of visibility, right? If I don't understand how, what my carbon emissions are, where are they in my operations, in my supply chains, then I simply don't understand what I can actually do about them. And there's certainly a case that some dollars are better spent than others in sustainability. Okay. You know, Sometimes it's better to spend on making your packaging greener than in switching one of your offices to to solar, for example. It might have a way greater delta of impact in terms of emissions reductions for the same amount of investment, right? And so we start with that information layer to help inform those decisions, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so Emitwise, that in information layer is, is mm-hmm. because Emitwise is a software. Exactly. Basically, what we do is we take in data about that tells us what the the business is consuming in the way of goods and services, raw materials, energy, utilities, mm-hmm. um, and we convert that to a map of their carbon emissions. And then we give them analytics functionality to help them break it down and understand it. Right. So do things like automatically highlight which parts of their operations or their supply chains have hotspots of emissions, um, which you can look at by by figuring out how efficient they're being in terms of their carbon footprint um, and and essentially provide them that data in a way that exactly they can start doing that understanding. Wow. So that's, um, so I, I, I mean, you, you mentioned supply chain. So that means that you're going yeah. not just to what they're doing as a business, it goes to all the partners that they're working with as well. To a certain degree, uh, which, you know, you've highlighted one of those sort of biggest challenges of carbon footprinting, which is that idea that I need to get data from so many different sources. And if I want to get really granular, I have to talk to many different companies. So the the way that Emitways approaches it is by first making it as easy as possible, by taking data from the fewest sources possible. So, for example, 
I can figure out uh, your supply chain emissions by just looking at what you're spending money on and then trying to identify the different suppliers that are coming up that are invoicing you and trying to map the emissions associated with them. And only in a case where there's a particular supplier which is so material to your emissions that you really want to get primary data from them, then we would go and get that primary data, right? So it's always about trying to make things really easy at first and then mm -hmm. increase precision, you know, the, the more advanced and, and sort of sophisticated that your needs are. Wow. And so how does it actually work? I mean, um, mm -hmm. do I need to like log into every single one of my utility accounts as a business owner and start typing <laughs> numbers in or how, is it is it easier than that? Yeah, no, definitely easier. So again, it's one of those challenges that we're trying to solve, right? I mean, the, the reason we, we started the company was because we were trying to find things that we, like, what could we do as a team that would have the biggest impact towards mitigating climate change? And we were going around and asking companies this question, like, what can we do to help you? Where, where would you spend your dollars in sustainability? And we found that the that they didn't have that understanding and then we started digging in and we found that the reason they didn't sort of like broadly as businesses have good understanding of our environmental footprint is because the way of doing carbon footprinting today is so manual and tedious and broken and such a big resource burden so we wanted to come to it from the complete opposite side right like today it's something that takes a lot of manual work on massive spreadsheets we wanted to make it a thing of like just a couple of clicks and you're good to go right and so the 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 most basic way to get started is that you just give me a feed of your financial transactions which you can either do by plugging in an api directly if you have one of the more common uh, accounting softwares or you can do by just giving me a download which is a csv you mm -hmm. can send it directly through an email whatever is easiest for you as a customer right um, and then there's a couple of systems like that, depending on the nature of the business, which we might want to plug into. So for example, if you are, let's say a manufacturing business, it's very typical that you have some sort of waste management system, um, which once again, we'll just look to plug in directly. But the idea is that we plug in directly and take in the information directly so that you as a user don't have to do anything. You don't have to go and type anything in. You don't have to change any numbers. It's sort of just like magically happens, you know? Yeah, that's fantastic. It reminds me of um, of those apps that's like monitor how much money you spend, um, mm -hmm. like personally. Um, yeah, and you just like basically attach all your credit card uh, credit cards to it and all and your bank details, and then it just starts yeah. picking up all that info. And just, it. It's like at a glance, you just know here's how much I've spent and on what. That's actually a very good analogy, to be honest, because it, it is a very similar process, right? And and I'm sure in the back end they work in relatively similar ways. It's it's about looking at something and trying to understand what it is, you know, using a you know a little bit of code magic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Auto magically. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, what is carbon accounting? Because I mean, the word accounting sounds like finance and basically counting yeah. stuff, really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So carbon accounting is just that process of trying to sort of, you know, following a, a established methodology and, and using a rigorous process, um, understand what are my carbon emissions. The, the, the reason that there is sort of like a field around it is because it's one of those things where you, you need to follow a lot of rules about what assumptions you make, what data you use. The most basic way of explaining it is I'm a business. I buy a gram of copper. I need to understand what is the carbon footprint of that copper. Well, that var might vary a lot depending on the location from which I purchased it. Actually, how was that procur uh, copper sort of like procured? Um, who's the supplier? How much did it travel to get to me? There's all these different layers, right? 
And the reality is that at scale, at volume, you simply can't have primary data for all of those different layers. And so you have to make assumptions. You have to make assumptions that what is the average CO2 uh, you know, a, a, of a gram of copper from Latin America versus from China, whatever that might be, right? And so carbon accounting is that process uh, of, of taking all the information, converting it to a carbon footprint equivalent is a sort of like technical term, CO2E, um, mm-hmm. but doing so in a way that people can trust that the, the path that you've taken is you know, reliable. Um, and as with many other fields, it has its, you know, it, it does like some things are great and some things are not so good. Um, unfortunately, the way that it's been defined up until now, because it was, you know, carbon accounting was mainly done just for reporting purposes. It has never been done with the idea of I'm going to actively use this data on a continuous basis to manage things and, and to understand things continuously. And therefore, there are some trade-offs in terms of precision and accuracy um, and the complexity of doing the process, which are really not great for sort of like what we see to be the next generation that is required from carbon footprinting, um, which is, of course, the, the areas where we're trying to push the boundary a little. Yeah, I think one thing that I'm thinking about as you're talking about is this, and I guess this taking a bit of a step back, but this idea mm-hmm. of just starting with monitoring. Um, yeah. And how important that is to making any changes, yeah. um, because it's kind of like when you're losing weight, or even with with your finances going back to that, you need to know where you are now. Um, and I guess that that's what you're mentioning about just the accuracy of the data. It's really important yeah. to, ha- to have a, a strong and accurate uh, baseline, so that way when you mm-hmm. start making tweaks and shifts around, then you're actually mm-hmm. able to see what is changing and what's working. And that frequency is something that is really new to this field. Um, mm. Like, unless you're one of those companies that are the most sophisticated in the world when it comes to sustainability, you know, the big brand names that, that come to to mind, um, yeah. you you don't have this data live. You probably see this data once a year. I can't tell you how many times mm. we talk to heads of sustainability that tell us that, you know, they'll set that one target and at the end of the year, they'll sit around the table and see if they hit the target or not and try to figure out why. Right. There's like this notion of continuous improvement that you see in virtually every other part of business um, you don't see for for sustainability. And of course, again, that's sort of like what it all really boils down to. Like when you think about it just from like a purely climate non-business perspective, um, it's not good enough. We we need very active, like drastic change now. Um, But also from a business perspective, like because of all of the pressure coming from regulators, consumers, shareholders, et cetera, et cetera, that old mode of I'm happy to just look at my data once a year, mm-hmm. it doesn't really scale to the new world that, that we're living in. Yeah, no, I mean, I think looking at data once a year, coming back to it, like mm-hmm. if you're uh, if you're trying to lose weight, I think that's just such an easy way to do it. Like, can you imagine like yeah. January 1st, and this, I think this happens to a lot of people, January 1st, yeah. New Year's resolution, right, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna lose weight this year, you weigh yourself, you're like 200 pounds or whatever, like okay i'm gonna lose 15 pounds or whatever by the end of the year yeah and uh and then december 31st you get on the scale <laughs> and you're like how am i 205 like, what, what happened <laughs> that's exactly it that is exactly it i think yeah. that's a really good analogy yeah yeah there's um i think that it's so so basically what, what you're doing with emitwise is you are allowing people to weigh themselves so to speak on a daily weekly monthly okay. basis 
Exactly, exactly. And if you were to, you know, sort of go a little step further, it's about trying to help them understand why they are gaining or losing weight and mm. what they can do to lose weight, right? It's sort of like a, it, it strives to be a little bit of a personal trainer in that regard, if That's you cool. would, you know, so trying to you, break that, yeah. When you say what they can do, Mm -hmm. uh, so your Emmetwise actually provides suggestions and like said, because you were saying yeah. hotspots, right? So is, does yeah. it come back uh, to that? It doesn't quite go as far as providing suggestions just yet. That's okay. something that's in the pipeline. But the idea is about like uh, surfacing the, the areas where you can do something. A very mm -hmm. obvious uh, sort of use case is let's talk about, a you know, let's say that there's a company that has two different manufacturing facilities and they are both producing the exact same amount of net CO2 output per year. Yeah. Um, but then when you look at those facilities and you look at that one actually produces way more output of their own products. So let's say that they produce 10,000 units, whereas the only the other one only produces a thousand units. Right. So facility B is clearly being a lot more carbon inefficient if they have the same amount of carbon footprint, but for way less output. Mm -hmm. And so what that tells me is I need to focus on facility B. Something is going wrong here compared to here. Maybe I already have green energy suppliers in this facility or the suppliers that are supplying to this facility are greener and like, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I have already put in place sustainable procurement whatever that might be right so that's where we we do that sort of layer of surfacing and absolutely the sort of long-term vision is to then add like automated uh, recommendations on top of that from an enterprise point of view right so that yeah. might be things like suggesting what different suppliers you could use it might be easier things like saying you should switch switch to a green energy energy tariff on this facility you know that kind of elements that's cool that's really cool i mean that so you're basically like you said you're surfacing points of focus and then at least in its current form allowing a sustainability manager to make a decision basically exactly, uh, exactly. it's just important to say look we we we're flagging this you should be aware that you could in theory just consolidate all of the going back to that manuf the two manufacturers you could consolidate all mm -hmm. of that into one yeah. um yeah exactly so I'm, I'm what I'm really curious to know is this going back to this word that you said at the very beginning about profitability and yeah. um, and really the ROI of sustainability because ultimately mm -hmm. again it, it's like without ROI mm -hmm. this whole thing is just sort of a nice to have and like yeah it's it's yeah. important to take care of our planet um, ultimately a business doesn't go into business to take care of the planet it goes in to make money mm -hmm. so. You know, how does monitoring uh, your emissions and ultimately acting on it, how, where is the ROI? How is it profitable to businesses? Yeah, there's a, a, you know, sort of a couple different vectors. The ones that we're focused on these days are anything that's related to cost cutting or revenue generation, right? Okay. So from a, from a, a, from a consumption point of view, um, a lot of like the bigger sort of more sophisticated sustainability business in the world have done a lot of work of proving that for every ton of CO2 that you reduce and communicate that to your end consumer, you can gain X percentage of sales essentially. Really? And typically, yeah. And, and this is interesting because it, obviously it has to be for the same price point of product and all of these different things, right? Like people don't pay more for a greener product typically at, at scale. Yeah. Um, it comes down to just, essentially what it comes down to is protecting your revenues as a producer from my competitor in the case that my competitor were to go out and try to like position themselves as green, right? And 
yeah. So that that's one element in terms of increasing sales or or protecting sales by be, by differentiating yourself. And actually, it's something that even in the context of COVID nineteen, we've seen to be quite resilient. Um, as particularly the sort of winning firms of the situation try to further differentiate themselves. Um, there's certainly a, a cost around risk and compliance. Um, this is one of the more um, obvious and easier to calculate ROIs because this is something that particularly publicly listed companies already have to spend a lot of money on. They have many, many, many full-time employees who are dedicated essentially to gathering and processing all of the data required for them to publish their, their carbon footprint which has to go on their annual reports um, and many times is expanded upon on sustainability reports. So that's like a, a basic cost that we can help essentially like shave off and automate. And the more important part behind that is that then we free up the sustainability managers time to do what they're actually best at, which is cutting that that carbon footprint in a way that actually reduces results on the third ROI, which is cost cutting from higher efficiency. Um, things like, you know, greener packaging, leaner supply chains, all of these things are like the classic examples that have cost-cutting benefits and carbon reduction benefits, which then trickle onto the idea of differentiating yourself more in the eyes of consumers or even investors, you know, which are looking at the ESG elements of their portfolios a lot more and, you know, having better relationships with, with your investors. So, and and then finally, and, and this is an element which we definitely see fall because of COVID, but there's also the element of employee retention. Um, particularly in January and February, we were hearing from a lot of professional services firms that were gearing up for their next sort of like wave of graduate recruitment. And were telling us we need to position ourselves as a green brand. We know that, you know, this new generation of workers really, really cares and they're flaky and they're bouncing around between jobs. And how do we actually make them love us and want to stay and work with us? Right. Um, yeah. Wow. So, I mean, so this is, this is like a legit thing. This is not just, um, <laughs> there's a little bit of ROI and like, you're trying to squeeze it out because it's no, not a sales pitch. Like this is yeah. proper, true. Yeah, ROI. yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I can tell you, you know, when we talk to customers, we don't talk about the, the sort of like green aspect of this, right? The, we, we come in we, with the sort of, this is a cost and revenue benefit to you. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, eventually, at the same time, I will say, like one of the like lovely parts of my of my job is that you typically do find yourself working with people that care, right? Yeah. Uh, if you're a head of sustainability, you likely ended up there because you really care about the planet and and you care about the work that you do, and and that is nice. Don't get me wrong, but even then, you know that with those people, you have to help them make the business case for their boards and for their you know sort of chief executives and whatnot, and and so. Yeah, it comes down to like large, you know, six figures ROIs per deal. It's it's not just a sort of like a nice to have, right? That's yeah, that's absolutely incredible. Um, mm -hmm. I remember on the employee retention. Um, that reminds me of a conversation that I had with um, the. She's now the sustainability director, if I'm not mistaken, of VMware, which is a, a large mm -hmm. uh, software company in Silicon Valley, and uh, that was actually episode two. And she was talking about how employee retention is such a crucial aspect for yep. for um, for companies, and and that's one of the main reasons why they're investing so heavily into sustainability. And it's exactly like what you said. I mean, they said that if two, if a candidate is looking at two companies and they're kind of having a hard time deciding, if one is clearly more sustainable than the other, that's basically like the tipping 
point and they'll be like easy well, win right there right yeah it's like you know if i'm not sure at the very least i know i'm not going to be hurting the planet or i might even be healing the planet yeah um, and we actually really like the the employee retention selling point because it's one that if you double down on it you know if, if i'm vmware and i'm going out and communicating to my employees that we are a sustainable business mm-hmm. then they are likely to then develop sustainability throughout their own job roles and that's the mm-hmm. ultimate that's what you want right you want yeah. sustainability that's coming from every function rather than sustainability that's just coming from you know a centralized sustainability department um, so that's one of the sort of like cooler ways of embedding it in an organization. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And the other, the other point that she was making similar to, to, or exactly based on what you said was that, um, a lot mm-hmm. of, a lot of their clients now ask for their sustainability reports too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. when making a decision because, mm-hmm. uh, a company like VMware, I mean, they have competitors, so yeah. You know, again, similar to the employee, uh, if you have, if you're looking at two different companies, you want to go for mm-hmm. the greener one because ultimately that company is also interested in in reducing its carbon yeah. footprint. And it's one of those ones where it's actually a relatively easy win because often it's not even about necessarily having to evidence straight off the bat that you are the greener product, but it's just about evidencing that I am going to be a supplier that is going to be able to help you get this information if you need it. Uh, um, and for a lot of the bigger companies, like the, the the large multinationals, they all require this from their key suppliers. They, they want to know mm-hmm. that those suppliers have a measure of this. And and so actually sometimes winning the business from that big customer just comes down to being able to tell them, I know what my carbon footprint thing is, and therefore I am going to be able to do something about it over the next few years. Got it. And that com- the, the key suppliers, now I'm seeing how it all starts to, uh, how it all starts to fit together because mm-hmm. if, uh, if I'm a client of Emitwise, <clears throat> we're talking about getting the data from your suppliers. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why it's so important to get suppliers who are willing and and can easily provide that data so that you can plug it into Emitwise. Exactly. 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 That makes sense. And so, what about the reporting? I mean, is that mm-hmm. I, I, I'm imagining you? I mean, you have your dashboard. Is there some because you were talking about like basically shaving off costs from having to create all of these reports? So, are, are the mm-hmm. reports really? Um, I mean, what do the reports look like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, when it comes to the actual sort of visual aspect of the reports, that's something that the company always wants to keep on their own side. Um, it's a kind of thing where they, you know, they have the graphic designers and they're going to put it on their beautiful, you know, PDF with a yeah. happy person smiling on the <laughs> side of the page and all that stuff. Um, we take care of, of the bulk of the, the resource sync of reporting, which is actually the data collection and the calculations themselves. Um, this is very much a case where you'll often find that the data collection comes down to, you know, there's a technician walking around from factory to factory, taking down meter readings and putting it down on pen and paper and then sending it to a centralized database and, you know, many steps like this, right? And you have to imagine that um, when it comes to carbon footprinting, there is, I would, I, there's at least 15 categories and then another three, there's like 18 different categories of data that you need to find, right? So it's like, how much am I consuming in the way of, gas, electricity, water, raw materials, uh, commuting, business travel, blah, 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 right? Like so much so much data. And so our value prop is that. It's like we automate all of that data collection. You don't need to throw any any people at that. And we do automate all of the carbon accounting. And then we really make it really, really easy to do the assurance process. 
So the, the assurance, you know, that element of having an, an external auditor come in and check your numbers, um, which is also a time-consuming task today because the yeah. data is not easy to dig into and all of these different things. And where we end is right as like that sort of, you know, emit-wise, the software lets you click a button, export my numbers, and then you go and you put that into your annual report, right? Um, but we did the, the bulk of the sort of the time sink. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the, so you're really the amount of time and, and resource ultimately being saved is yeah. really high. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know about something completely different, which is the yeah. different carbon scopes. Uh, and and oh, yeah. we've been talking about these things already. Yeah. Um, and I think it's um, as soon as you start kind of using the technical terms, it, it gets a little bit confusing because there's scopes, yeah. basically three scopes, right? One, two, and three. Um, Correct. Correct. What, what is the difference between the three of them? Yeah, yeah. This is why I was being hesitant about the number of categories because scope three has like 15 categories, but then scope one or two are basically just one or two categories each. Um, basically, the this is, you know, a proper carbon sort of accountant or sustainability manager might not be extremely happy with my boiling down definition, <laughs> but I'm going to I'm gonna try to keep it simple. Um, I'll be happy with boiling it down. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so basically, scope, down, scope one, sorry, is everything that you are directly putting out into the air. So if I am burning something like gas or coal and that's having direct to our emissions, that's my scope one, right? Relatively easy to calculate because if I know that I burned the kilogram of coal, I typically know how much I produced mm. from that, right? I don't actually have to directly measure it with sensors or anything of the sort. Um, scope two is essentially the emissions associated with my use of electricity, of energy. Um, that That's basically what it comes down to. So okay. scope one, direct to air, scope two, electricity. Scope three, everything else. Oh, so wow. scope okay. scope three has 15 categories, and that's where you see the emissions associated with my business travel, with my employee commuting, um, with my use of goods and services. It also includes, uh, and this is something that actually most people don't realize, it includes the emissions associated with the things that I produce or supply. So if I, I create an ice cream, um, let's say, or let's give an easier example. I'm an automaker, right? My my the 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 emissions associated with the use of the vehicles that I generate are part of my scope three emissions. Wow. Yeah, and so that's where it gets funky. Scope three gets really really funky. In fact, um, all uh, or most uh, regulation around reporting your carbon footprint and certainly all carbon taxes and all these different ways of pricing carbon are only affecting scope one and two. So direct to air and energy related emissions. Mm. And that is because scope three is really hard to, to regulate um, because there's, there's the crossover of boundaries and double counting problems and all of these different elements. So um, yeah. I'm guessing that for many companies, and I would suppose it, it really depends on the industry, um, mm-hmm. for many companies, the vast majority of their carbon emissions are scope three. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I don't remember the number of the tip of my tongue, but it was something like over 70% of the emissions of the average business are scope three. Yeah. Um, Classic and, and of course, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and the, you know, what, what that is will vary drastically depending on the kind of company that you are, right? right? If you're a professional services firm, it's likely that your business travel is the bulk of your emissions aside from maybe mm-hmm. the energy used in your offices. Um, but yeah, that's where you can get really in, like, you know, started doing some really interesting stuff. Like, at the end, so you were talking about how 
um, VMware's customers care about their emissions, right? We've actually seen a lot of professional services firms saying that they want to help their customers reduce their own emissions because then that also helps them essentially have carbon sinks, is it's called, through their scope three. If me as a professional service firm, I am helping XYZ company reduce their emissions, that becomes a sink of carbon from, from my services. And there's all these interesting different elements. I the the how how carbon how the carbon scopes have been broken down as with everything else has its pros and cons um it certainly has lent itself to a little bit of murkiness around scope three in particular um so i anticipate that we might see some changes as the industry sort of develops a little bit more Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day it's also been a helpful framework um to to sort of like give a baseline to get started for everyone yeah, where what what happens if um a company donates? They're like doing the one percent, and they're mm-hmm. donating to a carbon offset project. Let's say to planting trees. Yeah, um, yeah. How does that factor into your calculations? So it doesn't it doesn't take off from your carbon footprinting uh, from from your carbon footprint. Sorry. Um, so if you buy carbon offsets, that doesn't make you actually according to. So what we follow and what like every major body in the world follows, it's called the greenhouse gas protocol, the GHG protocol. Mm-hmm. And according to the greenhouse gas protocol, buying carbon offsets does not actually take away from your carbon inventory, as it's called. Sorry, a lot of technicalities. No, 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 that's okay. I'm just um, surprised to hear that. Okay. Yeah. And actually, Daniel, I'll tell you what, I I and I I say it's it's this is not my opinion. I am following the opinion of the leaders. Um think that's a great thing. Um, because it focuses on what really matters, which is yeah. actively reducing emissions. Mm-hmm. Um, offsetting is a very important part of the puzzle. We definitely need it in the short term. Um, and it's great to see so many companies devoting themselves to do it. And at the end of the day, there's a great consumer related incentive towards offsetting, because if you can say that you're a carbon neutral company, um, you know, it definitely increases sales like straight off the bat. That makes sense. Um, but, but when it comes down to, I was just going to finish. Yeah, when it comes down to your actual carbon footprint, if you really want to reduce it, you have to go and cut it directly from your yeah. operations. Yeah, yeah. Um, now that you, once you said carbon neutral, uh, mm-hmm. I see what you mean. It doesn't, in order to be carbon neutral, you first have to mm-hmm. have carbon and then you have yeah. to have a <laughs> yeah. negative and then that's how you become neutral. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, if you're emitting 100 units, whatever that is of carbon, Mm-hmm. By offsetting, you're not actually now emitting 90 units. You're still emitting 100. Is what you're saying? Exactly. And exactly. Just, uh, I see. And so, does does emit wise look? So, you do you track that at all? Is that something that can be plugged into? Yeah, I mean, essentially, we we help customers really easily offset if that's what they you know they want to do. Um, part of our ethos is sort of like it reduce as much as possible, offset if required. Yeah. Um, and so we have a couple partners that, that we connect them with. Um, eventually, sort of like part of the product roadmap is just to put a button that's like offset this amount of emissions, but we haven't quite gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of clients do you typically have? I mean, are, are they mostly really big companies or mm-hmm. yeah, where, where does it? So, yeah, it's an it's an interesting question. So the, our the the starting focus was just big, large, essentially multinational or publicly listed companies. Right. And the key reason for that is because I mean these guys had the business case made like crafted already, right? They they've been having to report their carbon footprint for the last ten years because of you know regulations across the world. Um, so they already have a, an existing use case that we can go and tell them like we'll do your reporting better, faster, cheaper. 
Um, but then also they had that sort of increasingly hair on fire problem around, well, now I need to do more with this information. I need to be far more sustainable quicker, right? Um, so, so, and they still remain a very important focus for us. I would, I would say probably 80% of our focus, but at the same time, um, when we saw so much movement in sort of last, uh, like Q, Q4 of last year and the start of this year from companies that aren't uh, what we would call sophisticated when it comes to sustainability, but we're looking to get started, um, still medium sized businesses with a couple hundred employees or so, but not necessarily publicly listed, not having any regulatory pressure. We're just like following this wave of interest from consumers. Um, so we thought it was really important to start serving that part of the market as well for two major reasons. Number one, important to make it easy for them so that they can actually do something about it. The worst thing that you could do is take interest from a business to be sustainable and, you know, shove it in, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of consulting fees and then not give them any value out of that. Um, But second of all, because we also see a very important business opportunity there that those businesses hopefully will then scale to become as sophisticated and have the the stringent requirements of the bigger ones. So we basically have two offerings, one which is for that large enterprise and one which is for the, which we call emit white starter, which is for those companies that are just getting started. And as you can imagine, the price points are very different and the level of complexity of getting started is very different. Um, but it's the, the, the underlying value proposition is the same. It mm-hmm. will automatically show your carbon footprint so that you can do something about it. Um, that's cool. And from a from a results standpoint, um, mm-hmm. have you started seeing companies actually, you know, the, just uh, I don't know if you're if you're able to kind of on a grand scale see all the data mm-hmm. that's being plugged in over mm-hmm. your portfolio of clients. Um, are you seeing any sort of like slow and steady decline of certain uh, KPIs? Uh, not not to the point where I could tell you. Oh, it's certainly because they're using our data to reduce okay. that. That I've seen this decline, you know. I mean, I, I think it's important, Heather and Daniel. You know, we're less than a year old, so I, I it would be, frankly, bullshit to assume <laughs> that we are already enacting that level of change. Because the reality is that even for the easiest of wins, they require a little bit of you know change management with within the organization, mm-hmm. all these different elements. What I can tell you is that the COVID-related uh, footprint decrease is absolutely massive. Um, I don't know if you saw this um, this uh, fact that I, I read up on last week um, from a, a post I saw on LinkedIn about that apparently the the decrease that we're seeing due to COVID and carbon emissions is at a global scale um, is the amount of emissions reductions required to maintain that 1.5 degree uh, temperature reduction mark to, to wow. align with the Paris Agreement, which is basically the amount that is required to avoid like severe climate impacts you know i I don't want to use the word catastrophe because that's more on the two degree mark but um and and for me that fact was insane because it tells us that if we really want to avoid the worst of climate change this is a level of transformation and action that is required from us you know it's holding flights worldwide and and people not driving into their offices and um, all of these different things. And and I think that for me has, if I'm honest, really put a fire under my ass over the last week. Uh, yeah. I, we need to do a lot more and we need to do it quicker. That is incredible. Yeah, because yeah. um, I don't think we've ever really understood um, what it would feel like mm. to actually take this precaution seriously. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And if this is what it's like, I mean, that's really intense. That it is. It is. And it begs the question where how can you actually find this level of reductions in a way that is not disruptive for the economy, right? Yeah. Because let's face it, it's not like this is sustainable either. Right. Um, at the end of the day, you know, one of the one of the major reasons that that fighting climate change is very dear to my heart is is not, you know, just because of the love of nature and the planet. I think the world will survive without us, to be frank. I think it'll Absolutely, be just yeah. fine. Um, it's really about the the impacts that it has on humans at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, this level of economic uh, activity is also clearly not good for for humans across the board either. But we need to find a way to 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 me make both me at, at the middle essentially. Yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting question because um, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is ultimately we're the reason why this is so important is is for human survival because um, mm -hmm. the planet is very resilient. It's gone through yeah. all sorts of crazy things over billions of years. So yeah, I mean, how do we make sure that we're able to continue to thrive as humans on the planet while also maintaining a healthy living space yeah. for us? And yeah. I think that, yeah, it requires um, basically living in, in kind of in harmony with nature because that that's just the way it works. Um, uh, you have to find that, like you said, balance where mm -hmm. we can we can do our thing and and the planet can do its thing and we yeah. work together totally. yeah and it's crazy because i think in order to get to this point where we're just i mean everyone's in lockdown no one's going out no one's doing anything in order to get back to where we were you know like three four months ago or six months ago um mm -hmm. and and uh as far as economic activity and to maintain this level of co2 emissions like the tech mm -hmm. the tech needs to evolve so rapidly and yeah, yeah. Um, it needs to become mainstream yeah everywhere. and this is something that this is also something that is sort of like and part of the like original hypothesis of emit wise that we don't see ourselves as a silver bullet we see ourselves as a time buyer to be honest mm. to to buy us enough time to find those disruptive technologies um, like as a part of that notion of when we were starting the company, we were asking ourselves, what can we do given our skill set to to have the biggest impact? And at the end of the day, we know that there's many other vectors of, of impact that you could have. For example, carbon capture, incredibly important, right? But it's just not something that our skill set matched with, right? Like we don't have PhDs in carbon capture or nuclear energy or whatever that might be. Yeah. Um, but and and we think that's so important. Like and and so we are buying out time for those scientists out there working on the like extremely important disruptive technologies to have an extra hopefully 10 or 20 years um to be able to find them um but at the same time you know what daniel i think this current state of affairs is really changing my mind a little bit about that i used to be of the persuasion that the only way we saved humankind from the worst effects of climate change was through a disruptive breakthrough of sorts like that like finding some sort of new way of generating energy or making solar energy so so cheap or whatever that might be and i'm starting to think that perhaps you could achieve the same level of disruptive transformation just by changing human behavior um which clearly we have seen right through 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 this pandemic yeah. um i just don't know which one's more realistic than the other to be honest but yeah yeah, I mean, I think it's um, I think it's a combination of everything. Just because yeah. you know, if we didn't have the this whole lockdown situation, uh, mm -hmm. we we would need to be approaching this 
challenge from all sides. Uh, yeah. And I think we still need to. Uh, eventually, I'm sure everything will come back to some level of quote unquote normality. And yeah, um, yeah well, I, I think, you know, maybe you're not a PhD in, in carbon capture. I, I still think it's important for companies to know where they are. And especially if there's a financial element to it, it's even, mm-hmm. there's even more reason for it. Yeah. Um, I think one thing I'm learning by talking to a lot of different companies and individuals who are working really hard to heal the planet and, and, and to assist and, you know, companies like EmitWise and many others, mm-hmm. um, there are so many different types of solutions and none of them, um, it's not, none of it's mutually exclusive. You know, yeah. it's, um, yeah. the work you're doing is just as important as the work that, uh, for example, an organization teaching farmers how to grow organically. That's also really important or absolutely carbon capture crucial or, you know, um, uh, for example, um, I interviewed JetBlue and, and, and they're doing all sorts of different things to reduce the amount of carbon that they're producing with their flights. So like, yeah, all of this it's everything uh, is everything is a must yeah and individual human behavior as well you know um i interviewed a company called cora and it's the same thing they're rewarding people individuals Mm -hmm. not businesses Mm -hmm. necessarily at least to start to be for 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 acting with the climate in mind yeah and like all of this together that's the that's the movement Um, that's the movement absolutely absolutely i think that that place where we can have everything ticking towards it and something i always like to to say whenever i I mean i i've gotten annoying at this point but if i'm talking to my friends or or to colleagues or whatever it might be um i'm always saying you know what are you doing today like it doesn't matter what your job is it doesn't matter if you're a marketing person on facebook if you're a you know whatever it is you can always be doing something and, mm-hmm. and that i think that point where we all get to the the idea that like climate is sort of like a kpi for everyone and everything all of the time yeah then 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 we we we're in good shape <laughs> absolutely yeah and um let's see how we get there that's um yeah. Yeah. that's a it's yeah. a big ask i think for a lot yeah. of people um yeah because amazingly I, I don't think many people, that many people care. There's like this core mm-hmm. group. You're mm-hmm. included. I'm I'm definitely part of it too. And like mm-hmm. all the sustainability managers, like you were saying, they obviously care about the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, we're like the the ultimate fanboys, uh, mm-hmm. or, or the, you know the ultimate fans. Um, how do we get everyone else to care as well? Yeah, and it's such an important question then, because at the end of the day, there is also a massive element of, of sort of privilege around all of this, right? The, yeah. the reality is that like the developing world, even if they they wanted to care, simply can't afford to, right? And 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 I think there there is a huge amount of responsibility on on us, and and particularly on 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 the wealthier corporates and governments to then pass on those quote-unquote carbon savings or whatever to to the developing world because the reality is that we simply have to acknowledge that independently of people's ethos and beliefs and and interests if if they are going to have to choose between eating or making an extra dollar as a business and the climate um 
they are always going to choose the the, the dollar or or the food on the table, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I think that is a very important part part of this discussion as well. Absolutely. You mentioned um, that you you like to ask everyone or all your friends at least what what they're doing. Um, so mm-hmm. what what do you personally do? I mean, aside from event wise and and everything uh, mm-hmm. that that stems from that, what do you personally do in your day to day life to be environmentally friendly? Yeah, I think I, I I probably do the same that we preach for for the businesses that we work with, which is like find the easy wins that have the biggest impact. You know, mm-hmm. so you know I cut me completely out of my diet. Like easy win to be honest. Being a vegetarian, especially in London, is like really not hard at all. Every, yeah. Everything is tasty these days. Um, I'm Argentinian originally, so it was a relatively big ask for me. <laughs> that's, um, a, that's a life change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually went, I for the first time in a long time, I went to visit my family in Argentina over the Christmas period just now. And um, when I told them that I wasn't eating meat, it was like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> what do you eat? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so, you know, I, I've cut out meat from my diet. I, I, I do the easy wins. You know, like I always take my own bag to the groceries. I uh, I don't shower very long. I, you know, I, I I think it's the things that you've always heard of. Um, that particularly, once again, in places like London, and it, it's really easy actually mm-hmm. to do these things. Bike around, you know, choose to try to bike as much as possible, even instead of taking public transport. Um, share as hell, avoid every you know sort of uh, Uber ever. In fact, I. I Interestingly enough, I switched to using Captain instead of Uber because Captain gives me an option for an electric vehicle. So if I do have to take a you know a hail a ride, then I'll use Captain instead and, and get an electric vehicle. That's cool. Um, yeah, so it's just sort of these all these different like small things which actually add up at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that comes back to the point we were making earlier about mm-hmm. it's it's a combination of things, and mm-hmm. um, ultimately everyone's life is made up of small actions, and so each little yeah. action adds up a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, cool, Maro. Thank you very much for your time. And for anyone who's interested to learn about Emitwise more or contact you so that they can start doing their uh, accounting and, and monitoring and measuring and everything, where can people learn more about you and, and sign up and talk to you? Yeah, so you can definitely check out our website. It's just emitwise.com um, or just reach me directly. My email is mauro, M-A-U-R-O, at emitwise.com. I'm sure Daniel will give a link to it or whatever. Yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, just reach out to me directly. I will answer. I'm on my email all the time. Awesome. Well, that's great to know. And um, yeah, Mauro, thank you again very much for your time. Really enjoyed the conversation. Like I said, I think the work you're doing is really important. It's, it's one of the crucial pieces to the puzzle uh, for every company to know exactly where they stand now and then they can actually act on on that information and make a change. It's been a great chat, Daniel. Really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating. And also, please subscribe, whether on your podcast app or on YouTube. And that way you can be the first to know about new episodes. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.